0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Today, we are concluding a study through this very short prophecy of Nahum in the Old Testament. And I have to just tell you, just being honest, there's a lot in my mind a lot on my heart about this passage, about things um, I've heard this week and studied and read and experienced. So I'm going to try to stay on track. I'm going to try to uh, not veer off onto many different trails I'd like to go down. We just don't have the time today. But just to talk about the way this story concludes in the context of Jonah and Nahum together, because you remember they both preached about the same city One more uh, directly, Uh, Jonah was actually in the city and Nahum was talking more about the city. Two different stories, two different conclusions. So I want to just kind of couch these things in terms of uh, another part of Scripture that does that type of thing. If you were to flip over, don't do it, but but at least not now, if you were to flip over to Revelation chapter 18 and you'd read about this phrase the mystery of Babylon. And what that is, what that's referring to in the context of Revelation, is it's a symbolic representation of all the cities in all the ages of human history that have opposed God, that have been wicked, that have rebelled against God's Word and His ways and have been subsequently judged and condemned because of that. And so you read Revelation 18, this mystery of Babylon, and you read about uh, destruction and wrath and condemnation and and, uh, overthrow, so to speak, in earthly terms now, in earthly terms, then if you were to just go on farther one chapter to Revelation 19, you know what you'd see? You'd shift from... A earthly scene to a heavenly scene, and you'd hear instead of sounds of woe and judgment, you'd hear sounds of rejoicing. The people of God are singing God's praises and it doesn't it, at first glance it doesn't make sense because Revelation eighteen is talking about judgment, talking about cities that have opposed God that were wicked, and they're being judged and condemned destroyed because of it and then you get to chapter 19 of revelation and you hear sounds of rejoicing god's people are rejoicing in god's presence and and you think okay well how do those two things fit together one simple truth what is mourned on earth is applauded in heaven on earth, the fall of Babylon is judged as an unmitigated tragedy by all the people because it was so great and now it's fallen. But in heaven, it's a cause for rejoicing before God because God's justice and righteousness have been amplified. And no more will there be rebellion and wickedness and disobedience and opposition to God. He's He's coming to the end and He's resolving all these things and He's demonstrating His power and His authority over everybody and everything. There is going to be no more disobedience and rebellion and opposition to God when the end times come. you understand that? God's already victorious, but when He actually plays out that drama at the end of time, there's going to be no doubt in anybody's mind who's in charge and who wins. It's God Almighty. And this is just one piece in the big puzzle as we see that happening. Nineveh went back to their wicked ways, their brutal, evil ways, and now they're paying the price. I'm going to read chapter 3 for us, verses 1 through 19, and then we're just going to look at three different points in that text and make some application, and I hope it will be... Uh, practically helpful for us today as we see what God says to us. Follow along with me, if you will, uh, Nahum chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey, the crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, Heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings, peoples with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. All who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart of sea, water her wall? Cush was her strength and Egypt too, and that without limit. Put and the Libyans were her helpers, yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed into pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You'll seek a refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water for the seed. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay. Tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There will the fire devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will devour you like the locust. Multiply yourselves like the locust. Multiply like the grasshopper. You increased your merchants' More than the stars of the heavens, the locust spreads its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes like clouds of locusts settling on the fences in a day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away, and no one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? Father, in Jesus' name I pray your word will be clear to us today. Help us understand and help us take your truth to heart that we might obey and glorify you, that we might be compelled to repent, Turn from our sins and seek your face. Help us, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude this prophecy today, yet again, you read something like this, and at first glance, it could seem a little bit confusing. It could seem like, what in the world does all that mean? There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of illustrative language, a lot of trying to make these word pictures. What are we supposed to get from that? How do we understand what's going on? We know the big picture. Nineveh, when Jonah went to them, he preached, finally. They heard the message of God. They repented as an entire city, from the king down. God saw their repentance and he held back his judgment. And, of course, that didn't make Jonah happy. So then we fast-forward 150 years, and here's another prophet sent to talk about the same city because now they've, I guess they forgot everything that happened when Jonah was in town, which, by the way, ought to highlight to us the importance, the necessity of discipleship because if 150 years went by, that probably means nobody who was around when Jonah was there was around now to hear this guy, which means, how did they forget the first message they had? It means, it means mamas and daddies didn't tell their sons and daughters. It means grandpas and grandmas didn't pass down some good truth to the next generation. It means the message got lost and forgotten. You hear what I'm saying? It means we have a responsibility. How are my children going to know if my wife and I don't teach them, how are they going to know? And, and by the way, let me just plug this in here real quick. Let me, let me debunk a long-standing myth in church circles. The church does not exist to fix your child. It's not the church's responsibility for a family to take a teenager, drop them off at the church, say, hey, do something with this kid. That's a mama's and a daddy's responsibility to teach our children right from wrong, to bring them up in the nurture and the instruction of Jesus Christ and His Word. That's a, that's a responsibility for the home. What the church is supposed to do is come alongside the parents and help reinforce the message. Does that make sense? They forgot. Same city, generations from the same people, totally different outcome. It was almost like delaying the inevitable. It was, it was almost like it was unavoidable because they didn't pass along that message of repentance, that message that God Almighty has a word for us and if we don't heed it, then we're going to suffer the consequences. Look at the front of your bulletin today. Every action has consequences. Every one. So we get here to the third chapter, the final chapter of Nahum And and here's what we see: the first seven verses are a picture of this truth. God will always punish sin. Now, understand what I'm saying. Did He punish my sin, your sin, our sin? Well, you say you might say, "Well, I'm I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I I trust Jesus, and so I'm not getting punished for my sin." Yeah, that's not what I said though. I said God will always punish sin. Do we remember why we're not getting punished for our sin? Because outside of Jerusalem there was a hill with a cross on it. And Jesus took our sin and He carried it up there and He took the punishment for us. See, God punished our sin. He just didn't punish us. That's an important distinction. The punishment didn't go away. It's just somebody stood in our place. God will always punish sin. See, the reality of this city, verses 1, 2, and 3, there's violence. Verse 1, there's... Deceit, full of lies. Verse 1, there's plunder, pillaging. They, they didn't produce wealth. They just stole it from other people. Verse 4, there's witchcraft, harlotry, sorcery. So this is the reality of Nineveh. This is the reason for their punishment. What's God's response to their sin? Bible says in verse 5, Behold, I am against you declares the Lord of hosts. That's the response of God toward folks who oppose His Word and rebel against His truth and sin with no repentance and no conviction. It's the Lord is against you. He's going to expose them to the contempt of the nations that they have plundered. So all the peoples, you wonder why the people of Judah hear this prophecy and they're rejoicing. It's because they realize those people at Nineveh that did all those bad things to us, they're finally getting what's coming to them. God's handling it. He's handing out the punishment. He's going to throw filth on them and make them vile. And nobody's going to grieve for them. Remember what I said at the beginning. The, the contrast between Revelation 18 and Revelation 19. The mystery of Babylon. There's sounds of woe and pain and chapter 18 and all of a sudden you get to chapter 19 and there's sounds of rejoicing from heaven, it's because there's justice, there's righteousness, there's punishment that needed to be handed out and it has been. You know, it's no accident or coincidence that when you look at Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6 and verse 31, there's something in that verse that we commonly refer to as the golden rule. You know what that is? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, guess what? Nineveh did unto others and now it's being done to them. this They are reaping what they have sown and it's not pleasant. So number one, God will always punish sin. Number two, treat others the way you want others to treat you. It's a transition from that verse we just spoke of in Luke 6 31 the golden rule treat others the way you want others to treat you so verses 8 9 and 10 there's this city mentioned Thebes it's also literally uh, literal is a no Ammon you might say in your Bible no Ammon it's, it's the city of Thebes it was a mighty city It was situated on the Nile River. It was surrounded by water. had allies all around. Ethiopia, Egypt, Libya were countries that were allied with this particular city. But the funny thing is, you know what happened to this city? You know why it's mentioned here? It fell just like Nineveh was about to fall. It became an exile. They went into captivity. Their children were dashed to pieces the great men or the strong, mighty men were bound up like prisoners. Here's the irony in this little passage right in the middle of this chapter. The irony is, it was a military leader from Nineveh who did that to them. So when this city is mentioned in the middle of this chapter 3, it's not an accident. This prophecy is pointed. And when I guarantee you, when the people of Nineveh heard that name, Here's what they thought. Oh, no. I remember what we did to them. God about to do that to us? You know the some of the most uh, poetic justice that exists? When there's a bully in school, and one day somebody's had enough, and... Somebody stands up to that bully. Somebody becomes a little bigger, a little badder. And somebody treats that bully exactly like they've been treating everybody else in school the whole year. And you know what happens? What, what's the reaction of everybody around? They're cheering. They're ecstatic. They're rejoicing because finally somebody's put a stop to this nonsense now they're getting the same treatment they kept handing out. Now they're getting it. How's it feel? Not too good, huh? It's almost like you, you feel vindicated. That's exactly what's happening here. That was not an accidental mention of a city, thieves, because there's one particular military leader in Nineveh that's probably quivering in his boots right about now. Because he's the one who led the charge against that city. And he knows what he did. And now he knows what's coming. He took captive everybody he could and he killed everybody else. And now guess what's about to happen to Nineveh? So we should remember, number two, treat others the way you want others to treat you. Number three, we see this from verse 11 down to the end of the chapter in verse 19. Verse 19. Sinful actions always have unexpected consequences. Sinful actions always have unexpected consequences. And unfortunately, we know this to be true by our own personal experience. Because there's, I don't think there's a time that exists where if before we made a decision to do something wrong... If we had all of a sudden, like one of these TV screens or a projector screen, and PowerPoint presentation, all of a sudden just pop up out of thin air and give us a little comparison. All right, here, here's the action you're about to take. Now let me show you all the consequences from what you're about to do. And a list just would just appear out of thin air and say, all right, if you go ahead down this path and you do this action, here's what's going to happen. Here's the result. And you get to see, before you act, you get to see everything that's about to happen. And none of it's good. Because if that happened, you know what we'd do? Probably 99 times out of 100? Oh, well, I didn't realize all that was going to happen just because of this. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'd be, I'd be crazy to do that look at all that's going to happen to me just because of this. No, no, shoot, I'm not stupid. So guess what? If we knew the consequences, we wouldn't do the action. That's how it works with sin. Because sin carries with it an extra little added piece of information. You don't get to see the consequences ahead of time in fact there is active work to keep them hidden from you so that you don't see them so then it looks more and more attractive by the way if sin wasn't attractive nobody'd ever do it Nineveh is going to be looking for a refuge from the enemy but they're going to come up empty Her fortifications are going to fall when they're shaken just like some figs off of a fig tree. And I want you to look at three specific failures here in verse 13, verse 16, and verse 17. Three particular failures of this city. The first one has to do with their military strength. There's rampant sexual sin in this city. And so because of that, it has caused them to be weak, so when you look in verse thirteen and you see your troops are women in your midst, you know what he's saying? because as a result of all your uh, sexual impropriety and all your sin in that area, now all your soldiers is supposed to be all big and bad and tough now uh he's he's saying there it's like like women out there, and of course, understand context, understand the timing, so i don't want I don't want to get. Bum-rushed by all the ladies in the room after the service saying, what do you mean women are weak? I, 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 okay, the Bible said that. All right, I didn't say it. All right, Bible said it. Uh, that's the point. That, you know what another, an, another uh, result was uh, that was in this city in Nineveh at the time? There was uh, widespread homosexuality. Widespread... Uh, effeminate characteristics in a lot of the men. Not exactly top on the priority list for a big bad soldier. It was a result of their rebellion against God. So military was affected. Number two in verse 16, the merchants, the buying and selling. The merchants increased by dishonest practices. So now all that's going to be stripped away. When you look in verse 16, you increase your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. When he talks about locusts spreading its wings and flying away. So everything they gained, remember they didn't buy buy anything. They stole it if they wanted it. So all their wealth is going to be stripped away because it wasn't theirs to begin with. And the third area is their officials. Verse 17, your princes. The officials, the ones who were sworn to protect, are actually going to be the first ones to run away at the first sign of conflict. So the ones who are supposed to be the the first line of defense are going to be the most cowardly among them. All three failures due specifically to their sinful actions. Unexpected consequences. At the time, they thought, well, this doesn't matter. It'll be all right. No problem. We'll just do whatever we want. I'm sure it won't bother us at all. I'm sure there won't be any consequences. The consequences are great. The people of Nineveh are going to be slaughtered and scattered in verse 18. And in verse 19, the surrounding nations, just like the bully in the school that finally gets what's coming to him, all the surrounding nations are going to rejoice at the fall of Nineveh. You see in verse 19, who's going to grieve for you? Nobody. Nobody. They're going to be standing around. It's about time. It's about time. Not a very happy ending to this prophecy, especially not for Nineveh. But in conclusion, I just want to point out a couple things. Try to make some application of this for us. What do we need to take from this? What do we need to learn? And and most importantly, what do we need to do as a result of this? Two things. First of all, this prophecy was meant to be a comfort, not to Nineveh, but to God's people. Okay, Because God's people were the ones that had been being persecuted. So it's, it's them that should be rejoicing. It was meant to be comfort. Evil is everywhere, but it's not going to go unpunished. So how can we take that to heart? We live in a world that's broken down. There's sin everywhere. There's evil and wickedness everywhere we look. Watch the news. Can't get away from it. So what what do we remember out of that? Wickedness is everywhere, but it's not going to go unpunished. Remember, God's going to punish sin. Now, that punishment may not happen when we please or how we please, but God's judgment of the wicked is two things. It's complete and it's sure. It's going to happen. Second, we need to remember the warning of the prophecy of Jonah. Remember, these two kind of go together. They were about the same city. See, Jonah preached to this same city, uh, but he preached a message of judgment and destruction, and at that time the people turned from their sin and they were spared. So here's how this applies to us. You may be here today, and you might be like Nineveh. You might be like the city of Nineveh. If you don't belong to Jesus, then literally, judgment is hanging over your head. It hasn't fallen yet, it's just kind of hovering right above you. God is just, He will punish sin. But God is also gracious. And even though judgment is imminent, it hasn't happened yet. We might be good to read a little passage out of Psalm 103. If, if you're taking notes, this is Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. There's one little little phrase in there. He won't keep his anger forever. We don't have an unlimited amount of time to get right. There's still time to turn from your sin and embrace new life in Jesus. But remember this about Nineveh. When Jonah preached, Nineveh appeared to turn from their sin. But they weren't really changed. So if your surrender to Jesus isn't real... Then there's this prophecy of Nahum here to remind us God wiped out the city from the face of the earth as a punishment for sin that was not repented of. So, what do we do with that? Well, it's real simple. Jesus gives us a message, we call it the gospel. It's the story of how God sent His Son to this earth to live a life free from sin but then even though He was innocent take all our punishment and carry it to a cross and allow sinful men To kill him, just so you and I could go free. And when they thought they were done and victorious and they killed Jesus, you know the story wasn't over. Because on the third day, some people went to that tomb and it was empty. Because Jesus had already left. Because his work was already done. And he showed himself to a whole bunch of people so there'd be no doubt that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he was going to do. And all we have to do is receive the gift that he bought for us. He's wrote the card. He you put your name on it, even spelled it right. Wrapped up real nice. It's just sitting there, waiting for its rightful owner to come pick it up. It's forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, peace, comfort, joy freedom wrapped up for you repent turn from your sins believe the gospel and say yes to Jesus that's the point let's pray thank you for listening to this message from God's word